You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Whites. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Today's topic, stop action photography, a genre of animation that in the case of today's guests combines elements of stills, video, and electronic illustration together. But before we set sail, let's take a minute for Al's gearhead pick of the week. Photodeox, a company we love, has introduced a new line of specialized lens adapters called Photodeox Pro T-L-T-R-O-K-R. Tilt-shift lens mount adapters. What's cool about these things is that they allow you to utilize medium-format lenses as tilt-shift lenses on select micro four-thirds, APS-C, and full-frame mirrorless and DSLR camera systems. Medium-format lenses have wider image circles, which enables you to use them for perspective control on smaller-format cameras without sharpness and or light fall-off issues. These adapters are available by special order for adapting Pentax 6.7, Pentax 645, Hasselblad V and Bronica SQ mount lenses onto Canon EOS, Fuji X, Nikon F, Sony A and E mount cameras and micro four third cameras. If you're into architecture or other subject matter that requires perspective and or depth of field control, these adapters are well worth looking into. Okay, we paid our bills, though. Let's get on with the show. Matthias Brown is an artist specializing in hand-drawn black-and-white traditional animation he calls trace loops. By stripping the process of excess, the remaining animation reflects a very tangible experience that explores the interplay between negative and positive spaces, as well as the portrayal of two- and three-dimensional movement. Matias studied graphic design at SCAD Atlanta and currently resides in Jersey City, New Jersey. Sam Cannon is an artist and director based in NYC, our hometown. Her personal work focuses on the manipulation of time, space, and the female form. Living somewhere between still photography and video, her images explore the way we interact with never-ending movements in the age of the 15-second clip. What we plan on exploring today with our guests is the relationship between the stop-action imagery of their work and what most of us common folks call traditional photography. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to have you guys here. So, do you guys call it stop action? Nah. What do you call it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, most of mine is traditional animation. It's just frame by frame because I do a lot more hand-drawn mm -hmm. and manipulation. Uh, but otherwise, I might do stop action. I usually just call it motion in general. I like I like making really wide blankets for things. Mm. It's also different because uh, you're mostly working with, or you're working with a lot of human subjects. Yeah. So you're not stopping their motion in the <laughs> same way. Some sometimes you have to though. Yeah. Yeah. Directing directing a, a stop motion video involving a, a like real living being is really complicated. I imagine. I imagine. You just need a bullhorn and a whip. It's all you need. Yeah. Seriously. A chair. You get very good at giving out quick, rapid-fire direction, like left hand slightly up, head back, don't breathe, no blinking right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me talking to my kids. <laughs> now, uh, a, a question for each of you. Did both of you or either of you start in photography and grow into this, or did you sort of get into photography through other art forms? 
Uh, it's just sort of been something that's been around. Uh, when I was younger, my mom had a Pentax 35 millimeter that she would bring out now and again, and then got a pretty early on digital camera that uh, I remember you couldn't use a live view at all because it would drain the batteries immediately and yeah. it took like oh, four yeah. AA <laughs> and it had a one megabyte card, but it was... It was called peak and charge. Peak and charge. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then had a photography class in high school where it was a full dark room, uh, 26 enlargers, one for every kid in there, wow. uh, black and white. So I did that in high school, then some in college and somewhere along the way in there did some uh, stop action animation with things like uh, toys, but I didn't have a tripod, so they weren't the smoothest <laughs> looking. I did that too. I had... I started doing stop animation with a with a video camera and it didn't have a still photo function on it. And so I would make all of them by just hitting record and then stopping really, really quickly and also didn't have a tripod. So all of the early animations are really, really <laughs> awkwardly paced and there's a lot of camera movement. There's a lot of Legos involved. Lots of Legos. <laughs> I have always been interested in photo and video and animation and I started shooting short films when I was like nine. And I went to an art school for middle school and high school and studied photo and video in both. Um, and so the two have always been the same in my mind, which made it really difficult because then uh, after I graduated high school, I had to choose if I was going to go to film school or if I was going to go study photography. But I really like having a studio practice and being able to make something out of nothing and so I ended up choosing photography. Does that bother you to be one or the other? or And you never felt that? It did bother me. Yeah. It bothered me a lot um, at that point in my life. But then that was kind of the thing that started my career because I, I refused to choose either or and had to carve out this space in the middle that I found interesting. And then because I was so excited about it when I found for the first time a space where I felt like I had the creative freedom and inspiration that I had been looking for. And then to have that become a commercially viable form of art immediately after, because this was, you know, this was like 2013, 2000, Vine, Instagram stories, that those types of short form video weren't really right. a thing yet, but right. they were about to be. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I like found this space that I was really excited about making work. And you in. put a lot of, I mean, can you, you put a lot of credit to Instagram for getting your work out there or not in the beginning, the beginning now, no. now it's a huge deal. Yeah. A lot of people find my work through that platform and I love sharing work on it, but not in the beginning. Okay. No. And how did you get it out there in the beginning? I started by making a lot of animated GIFs mm -hmm. and sharing them on Tumblr, mm -hmm. um, Tumblr. Yeah, which yep. yeah. Matthias can also speak to that because yeah. that's how we kind of met for the first time too. Yeah. Yeah, it was through mutual friends on Tumblr. Yeah. And is that kind of fading away for, are you guys still using Tumblr much? I'd still use it for uh, personal things as a different sort of community that's more absurdist. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can track where things come from in a different way. So I still enjoy seeing that because it's easier to go to the originator of things. Right. Uh, where Instagram and other platforms have a lot of re posted things. Not a lot of credit giving all the time either. Or it might yeah, be like right. just tiny in one spot. Right. And what about uh, dance? Did you have any experience with dance? Because obviously you have some, you know, the body movement is part of what your work does. Oh, no. No, no, I just, I mean, a lot of, especially the body manipulation work that I do is, I don't consider it self-portraiture, but it is me. Mm -hmm. But that's usually uh, just for convenience. 
because I'm there. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that I'm doing requires um, a lot of trial and error, like getting body parts in the right place, in the right position, and shooting things a hundred different ways. And I, most of the time, I wouldn't want to ask someone else to do that, but I'm very willing. And in the process is you'll do it, and then you just go back and take a look at it and see if it works for you, and then do it yeah. again. Basically. Yeah, or just making sure that I have every possible angle that I might need to be able to stitch that video together. Because if you're if you're trying to comp together... A still form, that's one thing, but but as soon as things are like crossing over each other, it gets much more complicated. Things start to look really weird in a bad way very easily. Yeah. <laughs> there are times when you're shooting some of these stuff is outdoors and like and there's like legs behind rocks down by it looks like a shore some by some body of water, I think. Yeah. Or mountains or somewhere. Um now you set up a camera, or do you have somebody working that camera? Because obviously you can't see what you're doing unless you had yeah. a remote on your phone that you're able to see while you're moving about I mean how how did you how did you arrange all that I have it on a tripod usually and then uh I'm either by myself and I'll just start because sometimes I'm shooting stills and sometimes I'm shooting video right and if it's a video then I can just kind of roll it and then go into this space and get all the footage that I need okay um but sometimes I do have to have someone there who's who's helping camera operate it's usually my husband I'll make him do it and he he at least he works with me (laughs) enough so that he would know what I would want uh, and help me shift over certain ways or something. And of when, course, he loves you so much. He has all this patience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah, okay. it's, it's That's because, why it's good to use them. Well, because Instagram husband <laughs> is such a thing. <laughs> the, like, person who follows you around and takes photos of you. But right. in our case, it's really weird and specific. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's clearly defined roles. It's perfect. It's very good. <laughs> and, and when will you decide if it'll be shot with video or shot with stills? My preference is is to use both in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do a lot of video collage where I'll incorporate still elements because mm-hmm. a lot of times I'm I want the the quality of the still image and if I'm just gonna have isolated movement in the frame, then I'll shoot that specifically like that area as video and then comp the video back into the still. Okay. A lot of times I'm layering both of them. Mm-hmm. So I, this is the question that that Jason was we were talking about earlier and and just kind of the relationship with technology. And clearly you're fluent and you're working with several mediums at the same time, but there is like a a lo-fi element to the work as well. So how do you feel about using technologies going forward? And when do you feel like, okay, I just want to kind of step back and lo-fi. And this is for both of you because obviously you're using a rotoscope to some, Uh, at least in some degree anyway. Yeah, rotoscoping to some degree. I think, at least for me, I like using technology to create something where I have a better understanding of the movement and then take it a step back. I don't like dating the work mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. so clearly, so I work in things that have been standardized over time. I like using new tech in some degree, but I like being very transparent about what's happening and using that as a visual way to convey. So I do a lot of glitch work sometimes because mm-hmm. I like seeing how things actually work in a clear way. And can you just kind of walk us through a bit of the, let's say, the rotoscoping process or something that's more old school when you're just... I do some rotoscoping and some just freehand animation right, right. where uh, it's... I don't use a pegboard and lightboard. I usually just clip tracing paper, stack it up, and do onion skinning. So uh-huh. I look, see what sort of motion I want to do, and then one to the other. Uh, just like that, yeah. And for rotoscoping, I really like the texture of ink on paper mm-hmm. and having it... Uh, it looks too clean a lot of the time if I do rotoscoping exclusively digitally. So I might do some sort of manipulation to the footage beforehand and then reference it, but actually just clip the tracing paper to the laptop screen and trace it frame by frame out. Really? Interesting. Yeah. 
And how in, let's say, one of the hand-drawn works, how many pieces have you drawn in, you know, one of the short pieces? Uh, it depends. I usually work at 15 frames per second, which is a little bit more than older animation, but a little bit less than some uh, stuff now. So it goes back and forth, but it's typically about 15 frames per second. And it's, it depends on what I want to accomplish yeah. in the animation because they're sometimes more abstract in exploration of motion. So it can be as few as something around like 12 uh, and as much as 60 plus, or I have some that are ongoing animations and those end up being 1200 plus. And for every minute, that's 15 per second times 60. So uh, 900 frames per minute. So a two-hour movie is going to be quite an accomplishment. Yeah, I've not done that, but I, I have worked out like what it would be for something for like Snow White, where it's frame by frame and it's ninety minutes or something. And those are twelve <laughs> frames per second, uh, but still, it's thousands and thousands of frames. And do you look back and you study some of the animation classics, the masters? A lot of the animation that I like comes from people who did like grant-based films. Mm. Uh, there's an artist who did a lot of work for the Film Board of Canada, Norman McLaren. Mm -hmm, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so he has that abstract animation mm -hmm, aspect, mm -hmm. but he also really like, I was thinking about him when discussing stop motion because he did a lot of uh, what he called pixelation, but it's P-I-X-I-L yeah, yeah, yeah. of uh, having he would position people and then take a photo each time. And he did also manipulations of having longer exposures for a single still and seeing how motion was explored in that way. Uh -huh. Both of you are fine artists and you've made the transition to commercial. Was that part of the master plan? And what were your first experiences? Who were the first people to reach out to you? Or did you reach out to a commercial client saying, hey, I have something here. Maybe we could snag something. How did, it, how did your first break happen? Well, uh, go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, I went to school for graphic design uh, and started doing more animation on the side. I'd done animation younger, but started investing more time in it. And while I was still in college, somebody from RGA reached out to me to do something for Converse Music. RGA is? An uh, agency in the city. Oh, okay. All advertising right. agency. And how did they see your work? How did they find you? Uh, they found me from recommendation from people at Tumblr. Yeah. Okay. All right. And what kind of assignment was it? It was... Uh, Pretty open-ended. Uh, it was a lower risk thing because I wasn't uh, familiar <laughs> or known at all, and so it no was, one's going to lose is, their job. Is that, a real, is first that a real job. term? Matthias <laughs> is a myself. low risk artist. <laughs> <laughs> low risk investment. <laughs> low risk investment. <laughs> That's a piece where you drew on the shoes, right? Yeah, yeah. I did the animation, then I did a laser print transfer using oh. a marker, and then cleaned it up on the shoe. But that's based off of uh, like zoetropes, where. Mm -hmm. You see all of the animation there. Mm -hmm. a zoetrope is a spinning mechanism, early animation, where yeah. you have slots in the side and you spin it and you look through the slots and it breaks up the image enough to mm -hmm. where it has it shows a sequence of images instead of simply a blur. So uh, but it doesn't work on the shoe because the shoe is elongated, right. so you have to reposition it and you couldn't actually work in a spinning zoetrope. Right. And that was shot then frame by frame? Yep. That was also frame on by frame. On my okay. dorm room floor. Really? <laughs> All right, then. Well done. Yeah. I feel like we both, we both probably, our, our early, maybe our current commercial practice is very scrappy. Yeah. I, mean, I was still yeah. in school when I first started working with commercial clients. But I started, I just had two really amazing opportunities where another artist would bring me on um, to help with something, which 
I'm so grateful for. But the first, I remember I was, I, I used to photo assist for Phil Toledano, mm-hmm. um, whose studio is also right by here. Mm-hmm. And he was doing a shoot for the Village Voice. And uh, and I, I remember being like, you know what would be really cool for this? A GIF. But I meant to like, I'll help you do it. And he was like, okay, Canon, get up there. <laughs> and so so I got, that was the first time that I had ever had a GIF published. Um, and it was on the website for the Village Voice because you couldn't, you can't print it. Um, and that was amazing. It was of the rapper ASAP Rocky smoking mm-hmm. a blunt and mm-hmm. I animated the smoke rising up. <laughs> but then there, there were these two really cool guys, um, they were by Mr. Giff, who uh, they're based in New York as well. And I had found them on Tumblr and, and saw that they were making the same kind of work that I was making and brands were reaching out to hire them to do that. I was like, man, that's the dream, you know? found this thing that I'm obsessed with and somebody else is getting paid to do it. I want to do that too. Uh, and and emailed them and just asked if they ever had a shoot that they needed help on, that I would be thrilled to help them. And they brought me on for some work. Uh, and then they were the ones who introduced me to Matias. It was on Halloween. Yeah, it was on Halloween. I just remember because the streets were blocked off. Yeah. Good story. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of it. I don't really have anywhere else going on. Um, well, obviously, you, you seem very comfortable, obviously, with old tech, new tech. Which one did you have to adapt to more? I mean, what- I don't know that I was that I've ever been particularly more comfortable with one or the other. I just like taking things apart. Like mm-hmm. I took a bunch of toys apart when I was a kid, and might have trouble having that toy later on because I had broken it by <laughs> taking all the pieces apart. But uh, I, don't know, I just like finding out how things work mm-hmm. and taking a step back and making it really tangible what's mm-hmm. taking place. And so, was there ever a doubt that? This the skill or this practice of you of yours would lead to art, or were you thinking engineering? Um, uh, is there a science element to this? Or? When I was a lot younger, it would have been maybe engineering because math and sciences were easy for me. Mm-hmm. But then I preferred. I got more uh, satisfaction out of doing artistic Creating things, especially yeah. when people start paying you to. Yeah, do that. that was a little bit later on. Getting paid <laughs> to play—that's a beautiful thing. It's yeah. a lovely thing. <laughs> And Sam, same, same. Or? Uh, my my relationship with technology is um, it doesn't the actual camera or method that I'm using to record the motion has never been that big of a deal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I have I have the cameras that I enjoy working with and that I'm comfortable using. But I remember even when I was a kid, the first animations that I made were all in MS Paint. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a couple other people who also used to do this, <laughs> but I would I would like open up two MS Paint windows on my PC and draw a frame out and then copy the entire frame and paste it into mm-hmm. the second file. And you could you could uh, undo and redo for like five steps. I think it was like two steps forward, two steps back or something. And so I would copy over five different frames and then I would just sit there and like control Z, control Y, control <laughs> Z, 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 control Y, 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 and play it backwards and forwards. And you can't, you can't save them. Right. I was just doing it because I liked, I liked making this thing move. Mm-hmm. I liked taking this like flat image and turning it into something that was moving. But I, I remember I told that story to a friend here in New York uh, and he was like, oh my God, I used to do the exact same thing. And then I would save all of them and I would put them into a PowerPoint so that I could play them later. I was like, damn, <laughs> <laughs> I should have thought of that. <laughs> was there ever uh, a moment where, maybe this is going back a bit, but where you were, you know, I need 
I need something to do something in order to get there. And then since that time, the technology has, has come come about and it's made your work easier or more interesting. I think the the biggest thing for me, which is really simple, is just an, an easy way to share a looping video mm. on the web mm-hmm. where um, I, I shared a lot of GIFs on Tumblr and that was a really, really clean, easy way to have a looping image. But then a lot of the players early on would hiccup if, if you were sharing a video, and now every now sharing a looping video is standard, mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. it's nice that that has become commonplace. If, yeah. When if that's the thing that you really want to make all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about programs that you used for the the, the stop well the stop motion aspect of it? What do you guys use? I've used a lot. I use um, primarily. I work in After Effects for mm-hmm. everything. Um, so. Normally, I don't use software when I'm shooting the images or ingesting them. I just like to know what I'm shooting for and just have the camera and my camera release. But I have worked with DragonFrame before um, if it's something that needs to be really, really specific and have control or you're like making something over a long period of time. But yeah, I primarily work in After Effects and Photoshop. Mm-hmm. I think I just have the reverse of which is uh, my primary use. I mostly use Photoshop and then After Effects for exporting video because it has more control. And is DragonFrame something that is at the high end or is it something that's more for like a beginner or consumer level? DragonFrame is high end. Mm-hmm. Um, the features are amazing, but there are also other programs. And uh, now there are a lot of apps that you can just download onto mm-hmm. your phone that yeah. do really simple onion skinning and playback and you know, taking sequential stills and making a video for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I feel like there are a lot of free or really, really inexpensive ways to have stop animation software. Yeah. That's, but you guys are past that. I mean, that's something you would just recommend for someone starting out or and anyone. I mean, I, I think that I, I'm a very firm believer that you should be able to if make something regardless of what your tools are. Mm-hmm. And then, and then just finding, uh, I like having my like really nice camera that I get to work with that I'm in love with, but I also sometimes will shoot things on my phone because it's what I have right then and there. And if if you have an idea and you don't want it to get away from you, sometimes the best thing is just to like get something down. Um, So I like I like playing with as many different toys as possible. Uh, That's that's where I was going to go. I was going to ask you if you're using sophisticated gear or or simple gear. And uh, my impression was you could a lot of it would just be basic simple gear, but you're say your your favorite camera uh well my is... name is sam cannon so <laughs> so you're a sigma shooter okay yeah no. so uh, i no. only shoot nikon no i <laughs> i i use canon um but i i always tell people they're like oh do you only shoot canon because your name is sam cannon I'm like no it's because it was the first camera that i got my parents got me a canon and so i kept I just kept going. But then I was like, wait, why do I think my dad got a Canon? Like, no, that probably <laughs> is the only reason why. Um, but then I also, I just recently started shooting with a Sony. Um, I got the A6300, which mm-hmm. I initially bought to do um, photos for a trip that I was going on. And I wanted to be able to shoot some video and it's small, but the high speed continuous on it is amazing. And, and I've been using it a lot, actually. Cool. What about yourself? Uh, I mostly shoot on my phone because I'm mostly doing things for reference. And then I have a uh, Pentax that I bought in college. That's a Pentax KX or something. I forget. But uh, it's a like entry level, but that gives me the ability to control the ISO uh, shutter speed and the aperture, which I can't do on my phone easily. 
yeah. easily, right? You know, but but a lot of your, what you're doing is on your phone. Uh, a lot of the reference footage would be okay. shot on my phone, all right, uh, because I'm mostly using it to sort of track the motion and see how it looks, and then manipulate it after the fact, and uh, sort of cleaning out everything by rotoscoping or using it as reference things, because that's not the final product. That's just uh, reference along the way. How old were you when you started poking around under the hood? Uh, depends on what it's in reference. <laughs> oh, okay. No, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. You know what? Let me rephrase that. I love that Please. line. Please don't edit that out. Keep it in. Okay. Let me rephrase that. How old were you when you you know started um, um, going beyond the abilities of your equipment saying, I want to start doing this and start tinkering around, you know, with beyond the normal breaking stuff. Oh, here's a great yeah. camera stuff. and just taking <laughs> a picture. I think uh, for breaking things, it would have been when it was more digital because it was a lower risk uh, for if I broke the file or something, then I didn't have to pay anything for it. But in high school, had a the photo class where we had dark room and eventually got to the point where I was trying to imitate Jerry Yulesman. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because if you went when it wasn't popular, you could get like three enlargers. I wasn't able to get there. <laughs> Uh, I could do like sandwiching negatives or something like that, but I didn't get anything really that well done. But I did start uh, cutting up the photo paper and positioning it before exposing it. So you get these different sections where it's sort of cubist in a way. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, mm -hmm, it looked like, they mm -hmm. were, looked like they were strips that you were working on. Yeah, uh, but manipulating it. And then you have a flat image where parts are in focus, out mm -hmm. of focus, or at weird angles, and some are more exposed because they're closer to the mm -hmm. light or further away. So that might be the first time that I tinkered with sort of breaking the equipment in some way. And then I did a lot of glitch work in college that helped me to understand how files were being saved in a much better way because I could see what was going wrong. Ah, okay. What about yourself? I, uh, well, I just, I start, when you were talking about Jerry Eaglesman, I was thinking like what artist would, it, would I have seen around that same time in my life that started to change my idea of what, I could be as an artist or a photographer. And I think for me, it was William Kentridge, mm. who is not a photographer, mm -hmm. but he, but he was working with cameras because he, he would draw frame by frame in his studio and then he would photograph them. And he started making stop animation films of, of these, uh, these illustrations that he was doing. And I remember seeing his work for the first time, but then also he would, he had, he did a lot of work with puppets um, and building out these light shows, these projection sh shows. And I think that was the first time that I realized that I was really just in love with motion. Mm. Like it really wasn't about a medium. Um, I love using the camera. I love having a photo background as an entry point because I think it gives you a really specific eye in what you're in the way that you're going to tell that story and the way that you're going to build the image out. Um, but yeah, it was it's always been motion that I've been drawn to. Hmm. It's actually, that's kind of what I was going to maybe wrap up this section with, and you answered it to some degree, but um, it's motion more than the image and the still image. I was going to say, what is, you know, when you decide on something or what catches your eye, it's the idea of movement. And is that the same for you? I'm getting a sense you're maybe more of the still image. It's a mixture. Yeah. I like things that, for still images, I like when they explain what took place when it was photographed in some way. Because mm -hmm. there's a certain understanding with a lot of photography that the photo is uh, truth, but there's a lot of different <laughs> things in the process of photographing it that manipulate your experience of it, whether it's focal length or time that it's exposed for and how close you are to the subject, things like that. And for the still, I like when it's transparent about that, uh, 
where you can understand what was taking place. And for motion, I think the most satisfaction I get is because I'm I don't see things moving when I'm working most of the time because I'm drawing out frame by frame uh, is the moment where it comes alive. So that's a very satisfying thing. But it really just depends on what the and and pieces. And what's how long into the process will you get to that moment where you're like oh, I just seen it move and I I'm in, thrilled uh, by it. Several hours uh-huh. in. Uh-huh. Uh, depends yeah. on. I've, yeah, it depends. But I mean, it's something you have to work to in yeah, order to and, get. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot easier to start into it with rotoscoping because you see the motion, then you see how you can manipulate mm-hmm. it. And you might uh, trace over a frame and it looks really odd. But then when it's put into the context of it moving, mm-hmm. then it suddenly makes mm-hmm. sense if you have something like motion blur. Mm-hmm. And in animation, you have animation smears yeah. where you're trying to mimic that. And you draw motion blur. And I really like those stills as isolated things because they're just really abstracted items that don't look like they make any sense. But then in the context of the animation, it just mm. looks like motion. And do you, did you buy a rotoscope? Did you put one together and uh, make something? Or It was in, I didn't have a stylus of any sort in college. I just had my click pad on my laptop and that was... Uh, getting a weird callus on the side of my thumb and it was very <laughs> tiring to do rotoscoping right. using just the trackpad. And so I had a lot of tracing paper and started just clipping that to, clipping it to the screen. To the screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And continue oh, with that. Yeah. You know what else too, thinking about the still versus motion and how, how they can relate to each other and, and the way that I've come to understand it is still photography one of the things that I find so beautiful about it is that the way that it tells a story, it it gives the viewer everything in that moment. And and it you can tell a very long story or you can tell a very short story, but you have that one frame. And then it's really up to the person who's viewing it to to give their time at that mm-hmm. point to read into it. Where I feel like with motion, which is normally associated with cinema, it's very much about at a set amount of time that you're going to have that interaction with this piece, right? You're going to have a linear experience. There's a start, a middle, and an end. And you're going to have to sit through all of that to understand what this thing is. Um, And I I think when I realized that I love motion, the reason why I still wanted to push towards the photo world is that that approach to still photography I was really drawn to. So I like making short, looping motion pieces because I like the idea that the actual image might only last for a few seconds. It's just going to keep looping, mm-hmm. and I'm giving you everything then. And and then the viewer can decide to stay there for 10 seconds, and they, they could decide to stay there for three minutes, and, and they could you, have totally different experiences. I guess that's what I was going to get at. Do you think that you're going to gain further insight or information or narrative from multiple viewings of that loop or are you or is it just kind of a repetition of, of the same and, and a re-enjoyment of what you just got I think that it, it would you could say the same thing for photography you could say the same thing for painting mm-hmm. or sculpture um, I, I think that if it's a piece that you're drawn to and that speaks to you you're always going to want to go back and look at it it, yeah. it won't ever it mm-hmm. won't ever give you anything else but you can constantly pull things out of it We're going to take a short break and come back with Matthias Brown and Sam Cannon. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. All right, we are back. John, you had a question you wanted to ask. You know, you both worked 
to somebody with music, but also with soundscapes. And do you, was there a moment where you decided to enter this into the work or was it always a part of it? Did you collaborate with anyone or is it all you? Most of the sound work that I've done recently is using a program called Pure Data, which is a visual programming language where you have little nodules and you can connect because I got an oscilloscope mm -hmm. uh, a little while ago. Mm -hmm. It was like two years ago. Where'd, uh, you, where'd you find it? It was on eBay. It was actually a gift that somebody gave me because I didn't have much money to spend on it. So first I took apart a tube TV, uh -huh. a CRT TV, and those are, it's similar stuff. CRT TVs just have a lot more capability than what you can mm -hmm. show on an oscilloscope, but it basically functions similarly. It's a CR, it's a cathode ray tube that mm -hmm. has electrons being shot, but uh TV will do it in quick lines, but an oscilloscope will just have either one baseline or if you have multiple channels, it can do vertical and horizontal deflection. And I was trying to find ways that you could illustrate using the uh, oscilloscope. And the easiest way that I found was there was, I forget the name of the guy, but there's a guy who did a Kickstarter, I believe. Maybe it was some other crowdfunding thing, mm -hmm. but to make uh, an album of music that would be viewed on an oscilloscope. Oh, and wow. <laughs> so it's a lot of uh, like sine waves, cosine mm -hmm. waves, because if you play those right. at the same time, you create a circle right. on the oscilloscope. And so he used a lot of pure data because it's stripping away like any sort of control over it and you're just generating tones, uh, how he was using it, that are sine waves, cosine waves, and you can adjust the frequency and then it adjusts the uh, relationship of width and height for the thing. And so I've done that to some degree, just use pure data to make basic sounds. And that's what I used for the uh, larger painted okay. item. Um, but even with that, I like seeing the sounds and how yeah. that relates visually to other aspects of things. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's most of the sound incorporation that I've yeah, done. But so more recent work, I mean, it's yeah. incorporating it. Like the last year or so. Yeah. Okay. And Sam? I like I like making sounds for the short videos that I'm making. I like making looping sound because mm -hmm. um, I think it can also help um, make the piece feel like it's stretching out infinitely if it just has even a subtle tone behind Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it gives it much more of a sense of space, I mm -hmm. think. Um, and I, I usually build that sound out in After Effects as well when I'm working because I really like playing around with the audio pitch filter that's built in and... The modulator to make like a wah, wah, wah. but I also uh, especially because a lot of the work that I'm making is dealing with the female form and there's a lot of references to life and the womb and there's a lot of liquid and so I, I like making these like really womb like ultrasound noises where it's just like calming white noise in the background. And are either of you musicians or do you use your own voice at times for I used I used to be in a band when uh -huh. I was in high school. My mom's an incredible musician. Okay. Um, but so I have some recording equipment and I have a, I'm not very good, but I at least feel comfortable playing around with it. Mm -hmm. I'm just good enough where I can tell when I'm really, really bad. Yeah. So, it, <laughs> so I don't spend a ton of time on it. But it's but I like having the toys there. I have like in my studio I have all my camera gear and my PC that I edit on. But then I also have like a big MIDI keyboard. And it's but I'll just make things in GarageBand and then I'll go in and mess with them in other software. But I, I don't need anything sophisticated. I just like making little noises. Mm -hmm. Matias did a performance in Miami that was amazing. If you want to 
share about that? Uh, that was me trying to figure out a way to extend the time that I didn't have to do as much animation for and comes out of having loops that are in different sync. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, the first one that I did when we had the show in Jersey City, that was only five falling faces. And it's just falling faces that each one has a sound that's associated with okay. it. And then at some point, uh, one of the faces goes away, then I go up and I paint. And then now it comes back and it starts interacting with it and has a new sound. It's a large screen. You yeah, have to it's a large con- screen. It's a Sorry, really, really large, like... Well. Yeah. What is it, like seven by six foot? Uh, It's a 16 by nine ratio, but had to go a little bit smaller because I couldn't find fabric that was wide enough for that. So it was like like a huge stretched canvas. And it's enough to where it, I paint it from behind the screen. So it's rear projected and you just see my shadow and then I paint and it's a thin enough fabric. It's just like muslin uh, where me painting on the backside uh, seeps through to the front and it's opaque. Uh, So it's, a large face and then I paint the elements and then the sound switches uh, as it goes along and sort of creates a song as it builds over time. I actually wanted to ask about about incorporating humor into your work. Is it something you're conscious of something that you, you you want people to to laugh at all or you have to smile looking yeah, at your work yeah. I'm seriously for both, I mean if, if somebody's gonna look at this stuff with a dour face I don't get it at all yeah. <laughs> I mean you have to chuckle you have to grin at least. I have work that's outside of uh, the trace loop sort of moniker that (laughs) is more uh, humor based that it's just that's pretty much just for me. And if other people enjoy (laughs) the humor that's in there, then that's fine. But you don't want to share where we uh, can find it. It's just us. Nobody else will hear this. You can tell us where to uh, listen to this. Uh, Well, you can go to my website straight up, MatthiasBrown.com. And that has a few. We we took took a look at that. It's (laughs) purely HTML. There's nothing else there. Uh, So it just has like H1 tag, H2, H3, links, and that's about it. And no CSS at all uh, to color anything or anything. So it'll Mm -hmm. look different on whatever device you're looking at because it'll just default to whatever it says. Uh, I did a very short run series of personal interviews where I interviewed myself, but I was trying to like date it so it looked old. So I actually uh, recorded it and it could be the worst quality that I needed, and it was just in a green against a green screen, then mm-hmm. keyed out, and then saved out to VHS, and then re-digitized. Oh, uh, <laughs> and so it's uh, sort of confusing. It, That's the kind of trouble you go through for like a ransom humorous. note. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ransom note to and myself in a, a high-profile case. <laughs> but yeah. I love those interviews so much. And you guys seem to know each other's work very well. You were smiling regarding that, but have you collaborated? Have you worked together and stuff? We Done have a few things. We we have a, a third. There's a third person in our GIF posse of close mm-hmm. friends. Uh, his name his name is Hayden. He goes by Zolik. Uh-huh. And the three of us would do um, GIF sleepovers where we would all go to a house and stay up really late and have the challenge of making something where each of us would make an element and it would it would be done before we would go to sleep that night. Wow. Um, which was fun. We got to do another one soon. Was that? Did you guys all meet here or in the city or around New York or was this... You and I met here in the yeah. city. Hayden and I met on Twitter, and he was living in Texas. And then he came up to visit, and we convinced him to move to New York. I met him in New York. You met him in New York. Yeah. I met him online. And then I the first day that we actually met in person in New York, the next day was my birthday party. So I made him come to my birthday party. We've yes. been best friends ever since. That's cool. Cool. And uh, I guess another question I had was, 
goes back to the earlier part of the conversation about um, was it hard for you guys to to embrace like physical space and walls and the traditional galleries when your work generally started elsewhere? Uh, well, the thing that people typically do is just immediately think, put it on a screen, right? Uh, which that's the easiest way to have people accept it or like ship it to a gallery or something. But I really like trying to work outside of that. So when we had our group show, there was an effort made to have it exist in a way that could only be in that physical space. And so that's why I did a live painting thing mm -hmm. that I needed to be there for it. And Sam had a sculptural yeah. element that uh, the work itself illuminated the space, things where it was in that space. So you've shown a lot more work in physical space than I have. Yeah, and I for those two pieces that were in that first show in Jersey, one of them being the soap sculpture and another piece being a projection sculpture where I made this large liquid pool that had a whirlpool in the center that was constantly in motion. And then I projected a video that had a lot of bodies that were slowly getting pulled into that mm -hmm. uh, whirlpool and then sucked down into it. But that piece it's really hard to actually film or photograph. It's You can see it, but it's really hard to record. And then with the sculpture, if you try to share it, you end up helping demolish it. So once I was in a space, it was kind of hard for me not to want to make work that was about pulling things off the internet and not having them be involved. So it, yeah, the work itself became very much about that experience. Right. And do you see yourself going more toward in that way? or I would like to, um, both for my personal work and then also in collaborating with clients and brands and the, the commercial work itself. I'm really interested in doing more experiential things. I, had, I did a piece in Soho at uh, Galleria Melissa, which is a, a, it's a storefront for a Brazilian-based shoe brand and did a huge video installation there. And then in December, I did a video projection a huge, it was like a, I think it was 160 feet wide on the exterior of this building during a music festival called Day for Night. Mm -hmm. um, and and both of those experiences were huge for me because I, I think it was the first time that I understood that that's where I wanted to go. Being an artist who works in short form video, everyone expects that as your career continues, you want to make longer form pieces right. and like that's right. where you'll take it. And go toward the narratives yeah. and go toward the film. And I've never yeah. felt, I, I mean, for me, a long form piece is like 10 minutes long. <laughs> it's yeah. not It's yeah. not an hour and a yeah. half. Uh, and I think that was the first time that I realized, oh, I can grow these things based on the space that and the ways that people experience them. And that was huge for me. Mm -hmm. Do either of you look back, I know you mentioned Norman McLaren, but do you, do you guys look back to some of the experimental filmmakers of the, of the 60s and early 70s for any inspiration yeah i have uh well two two of my i already mentioned william kentridge as mm -hmm. being a big inspiration but then i also am very interested in bill viola's work but uh -huh. my like mm -hmm. hero of heroes Wreckage. mother is uh joan jonas uh, i'm obsessed with joan uh, jonas yeah. i love her so much i haven't met her i really really want to meet her mm -hmm. and i saw her installation at moma uh that was that is up and yeah, she's, mm -hmm. she's God to me. Great, so. cool. Uh, since I went to college for graphic design and I studied a lot in that, it's a lot of positive negative space. There's, uh, he's no longer around, but uh, Shigeo Fukuda mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. a graphic designer and he also did sculptural work and his graphic design 
a lot of it would just like have a slight difference in it um, that would really play with the positive and negative space that was in there. Uh, like kicking legs that are up and down mm-hmm. uh, where it's one continuous line, but it's looks like it's a separated thing. So it's messing with optical illusions and things. He liked MC Escher a lot, but he also mm-hmm. did sculptural pieces where it was either based on one perspective, it was one thing and another, something else completely. Uh, and he also would do a lot of shadow work where he would have this like pile of items that didn't have any discernible shape or form to it. But then once you shed light on it, you have a very clear outline of a form behind it. And I like things that have that sort of moment of clarity in them. That's very interesting. I'm not familiar with that work. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. You Uh, guys um, each do the work that you do is essentially constructions. There are pieces that they have to be assembled in a way. You ever bury Easter eggs in your work? Your work is are essentially Easter eggs already. Oh, you're nodding. You do, huh? Yeah, I like I like to bring up imagery from past pieces and hide them. Um, I also am very interested in the idea of hiding things within a file that other people can't see. Because a lot of the video art that I'm doing involves many layers of things. And I, I like the idea of hiding things in the layers. And then when it compresses out, it's not there anymore. But I'll always know that it's there. You know it's there. I, yeah. I, I, I love that idea. And I'm aware of that. Okay. It's, it, yeah, it's like telling a joke that nobody gets, but you do. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. And you get a lot of those. <laughs> I do a lot of those. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> and to some degree, you, I mean, well, you guys are subjects of your own work. Do you... Do you incorporate what I guess we'd call self-portraiture? Do you feel that that's what you're doing? You're expressing some of your 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 inner lives onto what you're doing, or I mean, other than what all art might do. I I don't think that any of the personal work that I make is more or less of a self-portrait if it has my body in it, right. and if it doesn't. So I, I I consider my body just like the thing that I need to get the footage that I'm hoping for. That's the easiest um, way for you. Yeah. To- yeah, yeah, I'm there. Right. Yeah, and you know what you need to do. Yeah. And it's yeah. hard to translate that to somebody else. And you did some work with in with for the Samsung Gear for 360, so you're doing 360 and, and did that change? I mean, obviously it changes a little bit, but how did you like working with 360? That that piece was so much fun to make. It was simultaneously the most stressful shoot I've ever done and the most satisfying. Was it stressful because it was a commercial venture or because of the work itself? Because of the work itself. Okay. So they approached me and they were about to release their new 360 camera. And the only prompt was make something that counts down from 10 because we're getting ready to release this camera. So we're doing countdowns with different, with different artists. Um, And so naturally I chose like the hardest thing that I could possibly do. do. And I really, really was like, okay, it's 360 camera. I know that I want to build something that you can only experience if you move around and see it. But then also because the product itself is a camera and my work is so known for being manipulated. It was important to me that I make something that isn't manipulated at all because because it, you're it's, you're selling a technology. People need to see what that technology is. So we decided to do a giant 360 Rube Goldberg machine and then we were just going to put the Samsung Gear 360 in the center of the table. No editing. I, I, I just set it down and hit record and I found this incredible artist um, Joseph from Joseph's Machines mm-hmm. and he helped build out he built the entire machine and then we filmed it and it was one of those things where 
there were a lot of things going into it that I hadn't really thought about. Uh, for example, with a 360 camera, you can see everything. You can see the entire set. And so when we were finally ready to film the piece, we had to tent the entire set and stand outside of it. And the machine was started by me placing my hand through this small opening and uh, and waving <laughs> and yeah, like picking cute, up a ball yeah. and setting it down. And then it would start the motion. But then as soon as I took my hand out, that was that was it. And Joseph and I had memorized all the noises that were going to take place at different points in the machine so that we would know how far it was going along without messing up. And I remember it was like our third attempt at setting off the machine. And we heard it get to the very end in that last click, knowing that the entire machine had gone through. And... And we both just started screaming. Exactly, we were so yeah. <laughs> elated. And it was such a moment of like pure joy that I just left it in the edit that I sent them. So mm. if you watch the video at the end, you hear the yeah. two of us just screaming and freaking out. That's great. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that was great. So so he, Joseph's machine was responsible for setting that up because I, I thought, I mean, just creating something like that in itself is yeah, a life I, achievement. I, uh, I had, he, that machine which is very complicated, Probably is very simple, simple I was for, him. for him. The yeah. rest of his work is so mind-blowing, and, and we also didn't have that much time to build it. So, so we had to use some pretty simple mechanics in, in the things that were going to move and trigger the, the following actions. Um, but I, I went to him with like very specific, uh, you know, I really like to have a cupcake with a candle that's lit and the candle will burn a string and that that will flip this thing. And then he figured out a way to fit in all of those ideas and build it out into a circle. I think that was the thing that he was excited about because he is also very into finding new challenges and ways of making the work. And he had never made a 360 Rube Goldberg before. Um, and it's it's very hard to control the motion of these objects and where they're going to you know, line up and hit. Mm. And it, when it's all kind of in a straight line, that's one thing. But when you're having everything move in this circular. Yeah, one thing I, I noticed in that was where, like, when, cause it, because it's 360, you can see what happened after the fact. Like, there was one ball that kind of rolled yeah, to the side or something. Yeah, just kept going. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that was kind of cute. Okay, so if this is uh, a dumb question, but I don't know who else to ask it to. Is it GIF or is it GIF? I was thinking the same thing. You know, I, I have been corrected to say GIF so many times, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there going, she's saying GIF. So thank you for starters. Whether it's right or wrong, I'm, it's nice to know that. <laughs> I he, roll with a heart G. I've always said GIF because I read it first. The first yeah. time, what was the first instance that you ever used an animated GIF for? Um, probably to decorate. I, I, I remember making GIFs when I had a MySpace to decorate my MySpace page. I used mine when I got a copy of Photoshop 7. and <laughs> uh, But I had to manipulate the image in there and then use Macromedia Flash. Mm -hmm. And I would use it for uh, AIM icons. <laughs> but they had to be yeah. like under 5 kilobytes or something. Yeah. It was a crazy small. But it do it just flash? <laughs> it would just like go up and down. Yeah, I was going to say you but can't it was, do much. It was solid colors, so it was like three colors in the... Like, and you also had no control over the export. It was just yeah. save it out. Well, okay, so technically it's GIF, but... Oh. The guy who uh, created the file type said, choosy programmers choose GIF, referencing. Uh, and if butter. that's oh. the reason, I can't, can't, I can't get behind it. It doesn't, <laughs> it's... 
It's too lame. I can't do it. But <laughs> but I also think that anyone who's like mean about it and corrects you, they're just kind of a jerk. So I think people should say whatever they you want. You could just I'm look at and say, I don't give a damn. That's <laughs> all. Yeah. It just ended right then and there. <laughs> and it's for graphic interchange format, so yeah. it's a hard G. It's and a hard G. There you go. I like that. That'll, that'll work for me. Uh, <laughs> do, you, uh, do you guys consider yourself photographers? I'm not as much a photographer, uh, but uh, sometimes I am. Right. See, but, uh, when I look at your work, I wouldn't call you a photographer. I'd say you're, an, you're a visual artist who incorporates photography mm-hmm. into your work. That's how I would define you. I would say your work is definitely more photographic. Well, they, there's more photographic elements visible, but it doesn't mean necessarily that you're any more a photographer than he is. Yeah, I I usually go by artist and director because at least with director motion is implied. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that, I don't know. It's it's hard to pin it down. I like to think of myself as a magician more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of early motion stuff that was magician people just. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. I I mean I think at the end a lot of, we're friends with other artists who have a similar process even if what they're making is really different but it seems like the personality type and the interest that we have it, it's it's not about one specific type of work it's about enjoying the process of learning new things and experimenting and taking things apart and putting them back together and yeah i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to be tagged as a photographer if i was doing the kind of work that either one of you would be doing because it's 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 too confining and uh, especially if somebody's going to be looking for you commercially why pigeonhole yourself like that. You're, you're a visual artist. That's it. And, and you incorporate whatever it is that you need to get that final product. But you know what else? Uh, I think that there's the, the idea of what photography is, is changing so much right now. And, and so I also at the same time think that what I do often is photography, even when there's motion. I think that if I'm making an image where the camera is on a tripod and there's an element in it that's moving, but it's it's not a like linear story. That still to me is much closer to photography than it is to film. And photography has always had a history of the technology changing and the way that people experience it changing. And and like no offense to the photo industry, but we're not great at being accepting of the process changing. We very much like, we'll get into the art world finally and then suddenly color photography is an art. And like, we're very much about uh, being protective over our own form. And so in a way that's kind of, knowing that history is very freeing because then being an image maker who's making gifts and having someone be like, well, what you do isn't actually art. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, but <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, but, but yeah, so I, I I think that's one of the things that I really love uh, coming from a photo background is knowing that it's it's very much a history that's like constantly pushing forward and people are are constantly changing their minds about what is and isn't art within that form. And one follow-up thing, which I meant to ask you earlier, you're talking about, we were talking about your earliest experiences and you said that you, you one of your first things, you made a film, you said, when you were younger. What camera was that? Was it a movie camera, a video camera, or was it a still camera? That shot video. Because that comes a, back to what I just asked you, too. It was a Hi8 camera. Ah, okay. Yeah. And uh, I didn't have any editing software. <laughs> and so I, you would just shoot everything in camera. And I remember I got, I got really, really excited when I found out how to use the transitions that were built in in camera, the, like, wipes mm-hmm. and fades. But I didn't understand 
enough about post-production or what the experience of watching that film afterwards would be like to know that like you shouldn't just cut the action and then have it wipe across. So all of the, all of the all of my early works involve me like directing another kid to do something and then they would freeze and just look at the camera and then a black bar slowly goes Star across white. the frame. It's so awkward and kind of amazing. <laughs> do either of your folks, uh, your parents, bring art and photo? Uh, to your life, or you, did they? You mentioned that your well, your mom's your a musician. musician. Yeah, yeah, my mom's a musician. Um, neither of them were image makers, but they were very supportive. Mm. Yeah, and you had your mom had a camera. You my said. mom's an art teacher. Ah, okay. Uh, she teaches middle and high school art, and my dad did art in college and continues to have it like on his own time here and there. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he thought about being a children's portrait artist, but found out that if you enjoy like hanging out with kids, they don't want to be there and it takes forever. So you end up with an unhappy kid while you're painting. And so it's not a fun experience. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's great. Um, Anyway, um, terrific talking with you guys. This is uh, uh, different from what we usually do. Okay. It's an interesting genre and and your work, each of your work is is individually on its own, very, very outstanding and fun to look at. Where can folks find your work if they'd like to follow up on what we've been talking about? Uh, at Trace Loops is my primary upload thing for Instagram, and that's T-R-A-C-E-L-O-O-P-S. Uh, some people think that it's for Spanish 3. Uh, depends on who's there, but it's uh, tracing because I didn't uh, I didn't know what rotoscoping was when I first rotoscoped, and it was looping animation, so I was tracing and it was looping. Uh, and traceloops.com, and then you can also go to my personal website if you want to see the more uh, personal Sort of not personal things, but personal explorations that aren't as polished necessarily, and that's MatthiasBrown.com. M A T T H I A S Brown.com. It's, it's worth a visit for sure. Yeah, and uh, and my website is sam-cannon.com. And that's two ends in canon. Yeah, it's like the weapon, not the camera. It's uh, <laughs> someone got samcannon.com. Luckily, they haven't used it, but. I'm still working on getting it. But yeah, sam-cannon.com. And then my Instagram is at samcannon. Okay, that's great. Wonderful, wonderful work. Thank you both for joining us. You know, before you outro, and this is something we may throw in, I know you guys talked about the cameras you used, but um, what about lenses? Do you guys juggle lenses? Do you use one particular lens when you're filming? Yeah, I work a lot with the 70 to 200. Mm -hmm. I really love flattening things out in the studio. Um, and I also just, (laughs) I do a lot of, uh, animation at, uh, like out in the world and, and it's funny to just see, I'm a very small person and seeing me with a camera with this giant lens and I'm clearly not using it in a way that people would expect me to. (laughs) Um, so I think I, I mostly like using it because I think it's funny too, but yeah, I, I, I use the 70 to 200 a lot. And uh, and then I also just use like a twenty four to seventy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm mostly shooting indoors, so it mm-hmm. might be my phone, or I've got a prime fifty millimeter. That's an old one, so you actually have to that you uh, mount onto your phone. Not mount onto <laughs> my phone. I do have like some little clips for my phone, but uh, clips, for the yeah. Pentax body. So it's uh, an older one. It's a non automatic lens, so I have right. to adjust the aperture. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Cool. 
Did you know that our podcast contains zero fat and are 100% gluten-free? It's all true. Uh, subscribing to our podcast helps build strong bodies 12 ways. It's sort of like Wonder Bread without the carbs. If you're not a subscriber to our show, I will not shame you, but I do suggest you head on over to Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Player FM, SoundCloud, or YouTube and sign up for instant access to all of our upcoming shows and access to over 120 past episodes. It's free. It's easy and it's the best darn photo podcast on the planet that said on behalf of john jason and myself thank you so much for tuning in today